Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. As we age as women, we become more beautiful, not less like the world tells us. As we mature spiritually, we grow in wisdom and in holiness as women living out the feminine genius. But the world wants to sideline women as they become more spiritually powerful. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the physical and psychological challenges that aging presents, but also gaining greater understanding of the opportunities for value and contributions that are waiting to be discovered in the second half of life. I loved how positive and personal and practical the advice is that's given in this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. We're welcoming to the show Lisa Maladnik. She is the author of True Radiance, Finding Grace in the Second Half of Life. Welcome to the show, Lisa. So great to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. It's awesome to be here. Well, we first connected on your television show over on the Shalom Network, and so it's exciting to be able to talk to you again on Letters to Women. So thanks for making the time for this morning for a conversation. Oh, well, thanks for brightening up my day. Before we get started, for listeners who haven't gotten to know you through your writing and through your television show, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're passionate about, and your story as a Catholic woman? Hmm, well, I love being a Catholic wife and mom. Um, I was a born, you know, born into the church, but in my 30s, I really, I was one of those kind of post-Vatican II, born in 1959, really went through pretty watered down, but extremely well-meaning catechesis growing up that was all about how much Jesus loves us. And that was really needed, but it was kind of a, the rest of our faith, the dogmas and the understanding, the deeper understanding of redemptive suffering and the beauty of the cross, Our Lady, the saints, the whole, you know, purgatory, all of that was kind of left out. And so these beautiful, well-meaning people that were so afraid to say anything that might sound authoritarian to us at that very difficult time when authority figures were being, you know, rebuked and rejected quite regularly by our, my generation and, and people a little bit older than me were really leading the charge. I think that there was just a lot of fear of alienating us. And so I do understand what happened. But what, but what was being taught was Jesus loves you and Jesus loves you. And by the way, Jesus loves you. And it was all very feel good and holding hands and kumbaya. So that when we went out into a feel good culture, we were very attracted to anything that felt good. And when suffering came, which it of course inevitably does, we had no framework for understanding it. We didn't, we weren't capable of seeing its beauty or its value to our lives. And so that suffering felt like, ooh, Jesus doesn't love me. And weirdly enough, without ever consciously thinking that thought over the years, that sense of the feel good being over or being intermittent and the fact that I didn't understand the sacraments or the need to get my soul healed and get into the confessional now and then meant that all sorts of gunk was building up in my soul. And, and to me, it created a sort of spiritual noise that crowded out the gentle voice of God that was calling out to me unceasingly and faithfully, but which seemed because it was being drowned out, like turning on the radio and the television full blast while this gentle king is standing at the door gently knocking. I thought he wasn't there and I felt abandoned. And so at the age of 33, I hit rock bottom. And um, and then went on a journey that is described in some detail, not not heavy detail, but to some degree in my book, True Radiance, where I actually went on, an, on a literal journey and had a number of spiritual experiences and ended up back in the sacramental life of the church and getting my life healed. So um, that's a big part of my story, the fact that I came into, back into the church so late 
who was also an actress in New York City, experiencing what we're now talking a lot about with the Me Too movement. I'd also had a sexual assault in college that, and some other just bad experiences with men that had contributed to my hitting rock bottom at that point where really our lady wrapped her arms around me and brought me back into the church. I started praying the rosary and all that. Uh, so just kind of in a nutshell, what's really important to me and what's my passion is healing, breakthrough, anything that brings new life through Christ. So we're talking today about beauty and authentic beauty and how we can live out our authentic beauty as Catholic women. Lisa, how has beauty been hijacked by the culture and how can women begin to reclaim true beauty and recognize the interior beauty that comes from seeing our identity first as God's beloved daughters? Well, the culture hijacks beauty by trying to sell it back to us as if we didn't already own it. And it offers us an absolutely unachievable version of beauty or rather perverse form of beauty that suggests to women who are maturing uh, that there's only one little window of time when they are actually beautiful, and that's when their skin is perfectly taut and their bodies are willowy. In other words, an immature woman, that that's the ideal of beauty. And so even though that young beauty is very, very beautiful to us and that we can appreciate that even more as we grow older, it's not appropriate for us to get pigeonholed into that time. I like to say you know, just recall to women's minds that Jesus entered into time and sanctified it, which means that every moment of our lives is holy. It's like you drop a pebble into a pond. Jesus entered in and oof, holiness just, you know, a time just became holy. Not that the creation of time itself wasn't a holy act by God, but his entering into it sanctified it in a new way. His incarnation where he took on human flesh sanctified our flesh and gave it meaning. And of course, we hear a lot these days, thanks be to God, about the theology of the body, Pope John Paul II's, on the meaning that is embedded in our flesh, that, that meaning which is self-donation, self-gift. And so as we grow closer to God in our lives, as we mature in the spiritual life, that connection with Jesus Christ, who is the source and summit of all that is good and true and beautiful, grows in our souls. And so our authentic beauty is increasing over time. While society is telling us that if we're aging a little bit, we are, in effect, failing at being young. To be young always, and we've failed. And so we're going to fix you for our price. And that that um, airbrushed, photoshopped, completely unachievable beauty also infects the minds of young women who can never feel that they are good enough. Because the incredible variety of beauty given to us by God, which is ours, we own it, it is ours, it just doesn't look like that plastic picture that gets shoved down our throats everywhere we look. And even the models themselves are hurt by it. There have been a number of them coming out in recent years, Victoria's Secret models and and um, and some movie stars even, Kate uh, Winslet among them, who have said that they were deeply offended by the alterations to their images in magazines and in advertising. Because they, you know, it's like, we can never be good enough. And, and some of the stories that I like to tell are like, Grace Kelly, apparently, her costume designers, and for those of you who are too young to remember or don't particularly like old movies, was considered the mo- probably the most beautiful woman in the world at her time. And of course, now we have an awareness of a lot of different kinds of beauty, but she was the kind of ice queen, the blonde, blue-eyed movie star, and she married a prince, and Prince Rainier of Monaco. And so it's a very famous story, but she was considered one of the most beautiful women in the world, and her costume designers had to kind of pad the backs of her costumes because it was her fanny was considered to be deficient. There are so many stories like that. 
um, Twiggy um, admits to having stuffed her bra as a young model. Again, another icon of beauty. Uh, Cindy Crawford famously said in a McCall's interview, even I don't wake up looking like Cindy Crawford. And what does that all mean to us? It means that when we look in the mirror, it's really important for us to be kind, to push all those false images out of our minds and say, Lord, thank you for the beauty that you give me, for the beauty that you speak into the world through me. And that beauty that is embedded in my flesh is about self-donation. It's about service. It is about bringing the love of Christ to others and giving his heart to everybody that we meet. And that's incredibly liberating. The courses that I teach for homeschool connections for tween and teen girls on authentic beauty cause them to have major breakthroughs on body image and and their own sense of identity and worth and their desire to serve. When they start to recognize what authentic beauty really is, it liberates them. I remember growing up in my early teenage years and looking in the mirror and thinking like, well, if only this was different, if only you know, if only I had broader shoulders, if only I had long, <laughs> just realizing like it took me a long time and a lot of beautiful healing, but I was comparing myself to something that was just this ideal that had been made up and photoshopped. And it wasn't until I sat down and learned about the photoshopping that goes on in, in modeling or how, yeah, how you pointed out models themselves don't usually look like what we see them as or what we perceive them to be. Um, and yeah, it's incredibly freeing to realize that the definition of beauty is a lot broader than what the culture sells us for sure. Mm-hmm. And the church has magnificent ideas about beauty. The more we go into Catholicism, the more excited and encouraged we should be. And I have to come back to this, you know, fairly frequently because I'm a woman living in our culture and I'm still getting beat up like everybody else by everything that's being thrown at us. But look at the way God speaks through beauty, just even within our liturgies, vestments and candles and candlesticks and and stained glass and, you know, music and incense and all of that, the use of our bodies in worship. Um, there are cases, um, quite a number of them, of people who have walked into a Catholic church, had their hearts kind of opened by just the presence of that incredible beauty, and then that opened their spirits to the to the real presence of Christ in the tabernacle, and they sensed the presence of God. Very often, the gateway to experiencing what is transcendent is through our senses, through our five senses, and the church is very wise about that and incorporates a lot of beauty into our worship. And that, and sometimes beauty can move us and draw us closer to God when nothing else can. A little bit of a switch talking about exterior beauty. And then let's also talk about interior beauty. How does our interior lives and our feminine beauty deepen over the course of our lives, especially as, as we age over time? And how does the feminine genius offer kind of us a foretaste of heaven, especially when we enter into that second half of life? Mm, yeah, well, as we develop virtue, we grow in beauty. And that's really just drawing closer to Jesus in prayer spending time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, the Rosary, um, getting to confession. I, I I can do it for you in a moment. I have a goofy little commercial that I do every chance I get for confession because it healed my life so rapidly and so powerfully. And, and I was very shut down creatively. I was always kind of a writer and an actress. And, and getting my wounds healed through the Sacrament of Confession really unleashed a lot of that beauty back into my life. My life got beautified through the confessional. And of course, Our Lady at my side, as I was praying the rosary, just brought out a sweetness in me. My husband at the time, because I was a mess before Mm -hmm. this conversion. I mean, really a mess and a very bitter person and not easy to live with. My husband, I would come up to my husband and put my arms around him from behind and he he would say, oh, you've been doing your beadwork. 
because I was a much more loving, tender, gentle woman when I had been at prayer. And so prayer, obviously, is when we acknowledge that we are little before God. We come humbly before him. And um, St. Jose Maria Escriva said that humility is like the chain in a rosary. Without humility, all of the other beads scatter. No other virtue can, can, can grow and really take root in our souls without humility. And Mother Teresa said that humility is the mother of all virtues. And mm-hmm. so it's really important for us not to be self denigrating, putting ourselves down or saying that we're nothing, nor should we be running around saying, well, because I'm a daughter of the Most High King, I'm now full of myself. It's not like that. It's neither of those things. Humility is about being realistic. It's about saying, okay, you know, as as my daughter's favorite summer camp, Veritas, here in New York, which is run by the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, their tagline is, there is a God and I'm not him. So it's a very freeing thing. My very favorite saint, the first one I ever had a relationship with, Saint Therese of Lisieux, that's that sense of, look, I can't make myself a saint. I'm incapable. So I'm going to stand here. I'm like a little child. And the first step of the staircase to sanctity is just too big for me. So I'm going to stand here with my arms outstretched. And I'm going to wait for Jesus to come down those stairs and lift me into his arms very happily and willingly to let me abandon myself into his sacred heart and let him me up the steps of sanctity. So that sanctification happens with all of our foibles and our weakness and our littleness. You know, God dearly loves to draw us to himself powerfully in spite of our weaknesses, to show us again and again just how little independent we can be and how great our lives can be. And you mentioned the feminine genius and how that's a foretaste of heaven. When we start to recognize that he has imbued our souls with these incredible gifts, and, and I remember them with a little acronym, it's the MSGR, which is sort of the abbreviation for Monsignor, um, that helps me, uh, maternity, sensitivity, generosity, and receptivity. And those are all kind of words, you know, you have to really sit with them and contemplate them and, and sort of understand what they mean. But the upshot is, that we're natural mothers, and that we very often, to varying degrees, a lot of different temperaments and personalities out there, women have, you know, huge variety, but in general, women have the strength to be mothers, whether they're office mothers or they're commanders of troops or whatever it is, but we, we tend to mentor, we tend to be able to sense the emotional or spiritual or psychological condition of another human being, that's that sensitivity. We have that receptivity that allows us to open to another person, to listen, to, to let them draw into our presence the way we want to be able to draw into God's presence, to really to be available in that same way, to let somebody be heard, and also to be generous to when, you know how women are, you've read a great book or gone to a great restaurant or tried a great wine or something, you want to tell everyone, right? We're sort of mavens, and we're that way with the spiritual life too. Oh, this novena really helped me, or or I'll pray for you, or whatever it is, and, um, and so that is a foretaste of heaven because we, the more we are like Christ, the more we draw near to him in acts of love and service and self-sacrifice, the more we discover our authentic selves. And that is truly a glimpse of what's to come because when we get to heaven, the catechism tells us that we are a unity of body and soul. That is one nature. So this separation of body and soul that happens at death is temporary. Our bodies will rise again in glorified form and be reunited with our souls. And so theologians tell us that 
our, we will share in the divinity of Christ in heaven. We will share his nature. We will be in, be in glorified form. Not that we will be, well, there's, I don't want to get into confusing terminology, but the gist of it is, and this is just my take on it, we will be awed by our very selves. Our beauty, our ability to be sensate, to see and to hear and touch and taste and all of that will be magnified beyond our understanding now to a degree that will be incredibly and profoundly beautiful, reassuring. And so in our friendships, what we do for each other, those are the moments where we look for the best in another person. And I think this is something that women really have to work on in our culture, men too because we are so pitted against each other by advertisements and, and marketing, you know, that, that everything is about making someone else envious rather than lifting that other person up and helping them to see their own dignity affirmed in your eyes and in your acts of kindness, your consideration, your respect. The feminine genius then helps us to be always looking for the good in another person, which means, as St. Therese of Lisieux said, when you see the best in another person, you're seeing the truest part of that person, because those are the parts that are of God. And so if you are looking for God in another person, always seeking God, then God is looking back at you, and you are more and more imaging him in the way that you are living out your call. And so that brings you to your most authentic self. I love that. And I love how, too, being in awe of who God has made us to be as women who have bodies and souls, it does come to a fruition in heaven, but it's also something that we get to ponder and meditate on while we're here on earth too. As our bodies age, how can changes, even those changes that are not, not so fun, like hot flashes and brain fog, those <laughs> all back to though to the sacramentality of our bodies as women. And how does St. John Paul II's theology of the body just take on a whole new meaning as we go into the second half of life as women? This was, of course, my personal experience going through menopause but I just had kind of a rudimentary understanding of the theology of the body when I was going through menopause several years ago. And so as I was experiencing sudden rapid changes, when your estrogen levels start to drop, all sorts of tech breaks loose, right? Well, you have this to look forward to. <laughs> but, but you may have moments of brain fog, which means just feeling like your brain is moving too slowly or moments of bizarre forgetfulness. I could be driving along and suddenly have no idea where I was or where I was going. And it would only last a second or two, but it would be quite shocking. And so some physical things did help me with that. I read a book called Brain Grain by Dr. Perlmuter, and I reduced my grain intake for a while, and my brain fog lifted tremendously. That really helped me for whatever reason. That's my body chemistry. can't say that it will necessarily work for everyone. But that's a, a hormonal thing. Your estrogen levels are dropping. Your body is really going through this transition. Your skin may, you know, sort of get a little crepey or crinkly in places. Uh, you may be more tired for a while. And, and you might have to, you know, kind of examine your diet a bit to try to get out your energy drainers. You know, if, you're, if your body's reacting to dairy or sugar or whatever it is, or too much caffeine or too much alcohol or not enough sleep or not enough exercise, we all need to be little scientists and kind of pursue that and just, try to achieve our best health at each stage because that loss of estrogen can really be knock you for a loop. But as far as the theology of the body and the sacramentality, because Jesus sanctified our flesh, because as John Paul II taught so beautifully in those Wednesday audiences over the course of about five years, that's what we base the theology of the body on, those talks. We understand that it all has meaning, that God speaks through 
the various phases of our lives, that our bodies are changing because it's God's will. And so it's part of our conversation with him. And so when I was going through kind of the worst of it, when it was everything was changing very rapidly and it was quite startling and disturbing for me, um, I remember I was asking God, okay, so if my body has meaning, what does this hot flash mean? And, uh, you know, I really want to know. And I kept asking him and asking him for weeks. And then I was sitting at Mass one day, and I was looking up at the crucifix over the altar. And it was a quiet moment. They were preparing the altar for the consecration. And I was just, you know, kind of having a hot flash and talking to God. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm asking you again. What are you saying to me? And at that moment, my mind was filled with beautiful images of Moses approaching the burning bush and removing his sandals because he was standing on holy ground and and God's voice coming to him through the fire. And then the pillar of fire leading Moses and the Israelites across the desert, leading them to safety in the, you know, in the darkness of the night, that beautiful pillar burning and leading them. And then I saw, and this was all in in my imaginative faculty, just beautiful images coming to my mind. Suddenly the the tongues of fire coming down on the apostles at Pentecost. And suddenly I just knew. It was just that moment of, ah, wow, that's so cool, Lord. That's <laughs> it. You are speaking to me through this burning in me. You are leading me. You are anointing my life to a new purpose so that this time of my life, you're calling my attention to this change, this new phase of my life, and how will it unfold? How will you call me anew? Sarah Christmeyer, who is a scripture scholar and works for Ascension Press, she's done just incredible work there. She says that if God woke you up today, he has a plan for your life that involves being a woman at this stage of your life. And so that sacramentality, the way God, and when we talk about sacramentality, we're not talking about the sacraments per se, like uh, receiving Holy Communion or confession or ordination or anything like that. What we're talking about is the way God speaks through his creation. And so he speaks through our bodies, too. And that may be very personal, what he says to you. He may not say exactly to you what he said to me. But then later, I remember I was all excited about this, what felt like sort of a personal revelation, you know. And I got up one morning, and I probably hadn't had enough water the day before, or maybe I had allergies, I don't know. But I looked in the mirror and went, oh, gosh. The wrinkles were deeper and things looked a little saggier and I didn't look so hot. And I said, all right, Lord, what are you saying to me now? And immediately, it kind of touches my heart to think about it. And remember, I felt like he made me laugh. He so often does that. He said, I want you to think of your face as a clock. You know, this is just my sense of what I felt and say to me. It's not like there was a voice coming from heaven. I want you to think of your face as a clock and your time is preciously limited and it's ticking down. So what are you going to do with your day, procrastinator? Oh, he's not subtle. <laughs> no, no. You know, I've said to God for years, please speak up. Don't, <laughs> don't whisper. Don't use haiku. You know, put it on a billboard. Shout in my <laughs> ear because, you know, I'm, I, I'm distractible. And I sometimes doubt that I've heard your voice. And I really need you to be clear with me. And there are times when I just know. Because it didn't come from me. It's not a thought I've ever had before. And it brings me peace. And it very often either makes me laugh or cry or both. And oh. so that's a very healing moment when you sense that God being there for you. So that sacramentality, again, is just about God speaking through the created world. And we can see that in so many things. See the presence of God in the beauty of nature and the sigh of an infant and 
in a hug, you know, anything that's part of what God made can remind us of his holy presence all around us. Mm, That's so beautiful. As we age, our capacity for motherhood shifts. Um, So as you go through menopause, that capacity for natural biological motherhood decreases. But in the second half of life, you have this beautiful increase of what the church calls spiritual maternity, spiritual motherhood. Can you talk about how our time in the second half of life as women offers us more unique opportunities for spiritual motherhood than perhaps we may have experienced when we were fertile? Oh, yeah. It's it's interesting because so many of us become empty nesters at this point. I'm in the sandwich generation. I'm caring for my elderly mother, mother-in-law in my home, and I have a college-age daughter at home. And so the you know the time crunch and all of that become can be very stressful at times there can be very little time for oneself and so we have to dig in not everyone has that circumstance you might be a career woman who never had children and maybe you're just working long hours or or now that you're at a certain level you've achieved some a certain level of respect or recognition or whatever it is those are externals but what's happening interiorly for women who are prayerful is that as that connection grows with Christ, and as we linger over the Word of God, you know, maybe do a little Lexio in the morning, you know, a little bit of reflecting on God's Word and letting God speak to us, as we develop in our in our sacramental lives, in other words, more awareness of receiving and having an encounter with Christ in Holy Communion or in the confessional, as we uh, develop favorite saints, relationships with the holy souls and the saints and with our guardian angels. As that awareness grows, I n- I've noticed that women in the second half, because maybe we're more distractible or because of menopause or because of aging or, or because of taking medications or whatever it is, we can, it can be harder for us to concentrate and focus in prayer. And yet we receive this beautiful gift that when we persevere in at least trying to pray, or to cultivate an awareness of God throughout the day and give him our work and let him act and speak through us, that there's a simplicity that develops, a kind of trust that's new. We're stretched so thin that we kind of have to. It's almost like, I remember there was a, um, Scorsese made some movie, I can't remember the name of it now, where they, you know, a bunch of mobsters saying, we're going to the mattresses. It's like war conditions, you know, everybody's got to buckle down. This is serious, you know. And when you hit the second half, believe me, life can be very complicated. And so spirituality then can thrive in simplicity. Now, I love the occasional novena, and I pray my rosary most days, and I like to get to Mass most days. I mean, I have all my devotions that are important to me. I go to confession a lot and uh, because I really need it and because it cleanses and heals my life. When I go to confession, it heals parts of my life that I didn't even know were connected with mm-hmm. those sins. And so that second half of life, we we become natural mentors, caregivers, spiritual guides. Even if we've never biologically held, you know, had a baby, God provides us opportunities to be mothers to others. Um, you know, some some you might be the person everyone comes to cry on her shoulder or, or the people at the op- person at the office that people come to for Advil or advice. I mean, <laughs> or, or or a great, you know, leader in some other way in your parish or something like that, God provides those opportunities. He never wastes anything. And just as the world thinks our beauty and our importance and our relevance is slipping away because we're failing at being young, what God is doing is having the last laugh. He's making our lives more impactful. And it's important to remember that the world wants to sideline women as they become more spiritually powerful. To me, that's a diabolical thing. 
Um, it's not a teaching of the church that that's the case, but I believe that, that it is diabolical, that the woman is the heart of the home and of society. And, and even Fulton Sheen said the level of women determines the level of society. Uh, we really are very key to the health of church and society, as the church has actually said very profoundly. And so it's important for us to remember that as we become more and more invisible, that we get body shamed and age shamed and talked over at family gatherings. Some of the mm-hmm. older women that I've interviewed have said that that happens to them fairly frequently. I like to identify with Christ in the Eucharist. There he is in the tabernacle or hidden in a simple circle of what appears to be bread in a monstrance. And people pass by those churches without ever knowing the beauty and the power and the presence that is calling to their souls every time they pass that church or, or even just by virtue of its being in the community. And we will not know until we enter heaven the impact of that presence on, on society without us ever knowing or most of us even seeing it. And those of us who are devout even struggle to grasp the encounter with Christ, the real encounter with Christ that happens when we adore him or when we receive him in Holy Communion. And so I like to think about the fact that the most beautiful, the most impactful and powerful presence in all the universe chooses invisibility. Mm. And so as we become less visible, less affirmed, uh, less acknowledged and respected in a sense, we can say, Lord, thank you. That's so intimate to be able to share that invisibility with you. And I can trust that as you have impact in, invisibly, by virtue of your presence, that as a tabernacle of your presence, I too have an impact. That I, that while I am still called to speak up and to work and to be your hands and your voice in the world and not to sit back and become a wallflower, yet you, by your very presence in my soul, my life, has an impact. And so as I confess my sins and grow in virtue, that motherhood, that ability to heal and to be open to people, to notice the person no one else notices who's sidelined, overlooked, marginalized, and to draw that person into community and and into love and into our families, that great gift uh, operates more and more powerfully in women. Even the woman who can no longer physically serve, who may be in a wheelchair, her prayers, her love, our maternity goes on, our vocations do not see. It just builds up such a beautiful level of empathy with other women who are either experiencing the same thing or have lived through that season of life. Um, and just to be able to recognize that they're, they're unique struggles and, and to be able to identify with their um, their story as well. That's really beautiful. Mm. Yeah, we're so blessed to be Catholic women. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, again, we mentioned this in the beginning, but holy smokes, it puts such an emphasis on the beauty of suffering. Mm. I love how the Catholic understanding of aging and the Catholic understanding of suffering is just so radically different than the world because the world at this point is saying, yeah, you know what? No, you're, you're suffering. We don't, we don't want that. We don't, we don't need that right now. You are, you are good, but we don't need you anymore. And how the Catholic church says, oh, if anything, this is the time to dig deeper. Mm-hmm. And it's just a juxtaposition of what we're offered by the culture. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Amen. Have you experienced any particular pitfalls or temptations unique to the second half of your life? And how can women strive for holiness despite those temptations? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I think typically women as we get older, because life is harder and we're tireder and it can be stressful, can do a lot of complaining. We can do a lot of comparing ourselves to others, which is part of what divides us, that whole, you know, thing about, oh, 
what what was she thinking? You know, or you know, I mean, did you hear what she said? I mean, we have really have a tendency to start comparing ourselves to others, and it really and it divides us. And also to obsess about the loss of youth. Those are the three things: comparing, complaining, and obsessing about the loss of youth. Those are all distractions. They're distractions from the beautiful adventure of growing closer to Jesus in our souls every day, and again of looking for the best in other people. And the antidote to that is to count blessings every day. You know, there's, it's funny how science keeps catching up with God and catching up with the church. All, there's all this scientific research. I mean, way back when Zig Ziglar was the big famous motivational speaker and a Christian and, you know, and all that and traveling all over the world, his attitude of gratitude, he really had something there because science now shows that people who count blessings, uh, recover far faster from, from uh, you know, trauma, from things that cause post-traumatic stress and things like that, from deaths and disasters and wounds and all of that. They, they recover faster physically, psychologically, spiritually. They sleep better. They have better relationships, longer-lasting marriages. They have better health. They live longer. They're more at peace. They're happier. And the thing is, something actually chemically happens in our brains when we cultivate that gratitude. God built us that way. And it's, and he says so often in scripture, you know, St. Paul says to think of all that is beautiful and good and noble. Ponder those things all the time. Think about the good and beautiful. That's where we're headed. That's who we are. That's what we would have loved out of that beauty and that truth and that goodness. And so to be distracted, to be complaining about our aches and pains, Jesus did not make us, you know, his adopted brothers and sisters for us to spend our lives cataloging and complaining about our little crosses. We're supposed to take them off. And I know that's hard. But Mother Teresa and others have said that to stand at the foot of the cross, to suffer is a place of enormous grace. Standing at the foot of the cross then, and which we all do throughout our lives. One of the things that came to me today, because my mom passed recently and there's been some other stresses, and my mom had a beautiful life, and she was a very godly woman and had a beautiful death surrounded by her loved ones she did suffer toward the end which was hard but she but she finally passed peacefully with all the prayers and sacraments and everything and lots of love and so that and other things has kind of put me into a place of suffering lately you know being very raw emotionally and i was thinking today that i had given advice to somebody years ago and didn't remember it and she shared it with me recently and said it made all the difference to her she said when you're she said that I said, when you're in the desert, you're resting, that God is preparing you for something, that that suffering has value and that he has a plan for you and it's a beautiful plan. And that right there and then, just to kind of rest in it, to allow it to be and to accept it and to look up at him on the cross, whether it's in your soul or whether there's literally a crucifix on your wall, and just to say thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing in my soul and help me to trust you. Help me to grow in faith through this experience. Um, that, that suffering, you know, we won't have it in heaven anymore because we won't need it. We won't be sinful people. We won't need to be reminded of our dependence on God. But you look at the people who run to daily mass, like other people who haven't yet gotten to that point where they're really that attracted to the Holy Eucharist. Most of the people that I've known who have had that kind of devotion where they run like lovers to Mass every day, they wouldn't think of not going. And uh, there's a story of suffering behind that, suffering that at some point in their life was a grace. It showed them their dependence on God and showed them how beautiful their lives could be if they abandoned their lives over to God. 
and I don't mean that those people have reached perfection. They know they're not. They're there not because they think they're so worthy of Holy Communion, but because it is their fuel. It's their food. It's it was fills their lives up with life. And uh, I noticed when I was coming back into the church and receiving communion pretty much every day and praying my rosary, as I said before, creativity, life, joy, beauty flowed back into my life. And so all of that came through suffering. When you're in a moment of desolation, my first tendency is to look around and see what I can control. Mm. You know, something that's not even related to the suffering that I'm going to through. If it's, you know, if I can control this remote area, then I can still maintain maintenance over my, my life. How often Christ invites us just to simply abide with him. Um, and how much grace can come from that abandonment and that surrender, mm-hmm. um, especially during those moments of suffering yeah. and those situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As Catholic women, there is always something that we can do to grow in our faith. There's always something that we can do to learn more about our faith. How can we continue to discern God's call through that second half of life? Well, a lot of us like to do a little bit of scripture reading. I do find that God does speak a word to me from time to time. But also look around you. Look around and see who he has placed in your life. And 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 as you're, you know, hopefully working on confessing your sins and growing in virtue and just persevering, be open to the possibility that that little thought that keeps coming to you in prayer, whether it's a ministry or whether it's someone that God is asking you to reach out today that you haven't talked to in years, maybe, or months or whatever it is, maybe that person needs you. God sometimes leads us in little tiny baby steps that are teaching and strengthening us. At any age, we can be taught and strengthened and schooled from moment to moment in obedience. You know, Mother Teresa said that her biggest thing with her nuns was, or one of her biggest things was, be obedient to God in the little things throughout the day so that you are, because just any act of disobedience, knowingly going against God, can really drain all the life out of you can really just be devastating to your spiritual life. Now, we know that we defy God fairly often. We say that unkind word, even though just before we said it, we had a feeling we shouldn't, or whatever it is. We do these things, and that doesn't mean that our world comes crashing down. But we need to reflect. You know, some people will do a little examination of conscience at the end of every day. I have never been able to get myself into that habit, but I do think about it, and I do pray about it, especially at Mass, because I'm there most days where you're preparing yourself to receive the Eucharist. And I often say, Lord, I'm so sorry I have to receive you on such an unworthy tone. And I get myself the confession. And maybe this is a good time to share that my goofy little commercial, because really, really confession is the thing, you know, combined with the rosary and the Eucharist and just trying to be aware of God throughout the day and to ask God to speak and act through me. But confession is the thing that really started to put my Humpty Dumpty life back together again. I could feel it with every sacramental confession. That encounter with Christ just was so incredibly life-giving. You know, we have to have a heavenly focus in the second half more than ever because our closest friends may pass away before we do. Our spouses, those kinds of things, we are more and more going to be focused on where we're going even rather than trying to achieve personal happiness. I love what C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you get neither. But um, I will do my little commercial because I, I, I do it because it's kind of silly and it helps people to remember that I talked about it because you can talk a lot and people may enjoy the conversation, 
But unless something really makes them laugh or jumps out at them or makes some aspect of it memorable, it all just kind of, you know, evaporates. So when I go out and give my talks and things like that, I very often do this. And, and it's oftentimes after telling a little about myself, about the way my life, the life drained out of my life because of unconfessed sin and all of that and the importance of coming before God and being healed. And so it goes something like this. So now a word from our sponsor. Feeling tired, run down, discouraged, feel like Jesus hasn't been answering your prayers lately. How would you like to get back in the game so fast it'll make the enemy's head spin? Get some religion, get your groove back, let the light of the Lord shine right through you and out to the world. Well, you're in luck. Because right now you, my friend, can get back in the race with some sanctifying grace. Discover the elation of reconciliation. Free at last, free of charge. At a Catholic parish near you where a priest is waiting to take your call. Get back in the game. Get back to confession. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and, that, and that silly commercial came out of right growth over time, suffering, falling flat on my face enough times to know that going to confession once is not going to cut it and neither is once a year. <laughs> True. I know I need it a lot more than that for sure. <laughs> oh, beautiful. I love how all the tips that you share are so accessible too. These aren't things that are necessarily hard um, or challenging and, and they may be in our own personal life or there may be things that we have to to work through to get to regular practice of confession or or the reception of the Eucharist, but they're things that are accessible and things that we can do on a regular basis. So, oh, those are so beautiful. Lisa, the question that I ask women when I wrap up the, the podcast episodes is, is on the feminine genius as we explore the feminine genius with this podcast series. Can you talk about how you live out the feminine genius in your ordinary daily life as a woman in the second stage of her life? Mm, that's a great question. I think just being aware that my vocation is a place of great power, that I feel God speaking to me powerfully in my vocation, and that I trust God uses my feminine gifts, that um, if I kind of, I, I notice that I feel very intimate with God in moments where my impatient nature is, you know, kind of held in check, and I'm able to listen to somebody who is maybe a little tiresome or tends to run on, or, or, whether, or where I kind of resist the urge to rush into doing something that I really want to do when I know there's something I ought to do. It's funny, it, it's just little moments of self-mastery, I feel like, that allow those feminine gifts to grow stronger. It, it's weird because they're, they're like little depths, you know, little depths to self, but they're incredibly life-giving. And I really feel close to God in those moments. I almost feel like um, there's almost the sound of his voice in that moment somehow. My mother... Um, I feel like faith was the background music of her life. Someone described it to me that way well, long ago, that, that faith was the background music of his life. And I always thought that it was the background music of her life. And so not being afraid to be a person of faith, saying grace in public places, but not being ostentatious about it either, being willing to listen to other points of view and find common ground with people. And I know, especially at this time, you know, we know so many people who are close to us that God gives us to mother and to, to befriend and to listen to and to serve that, you know, there's so much division even within the church. I say even within the church, just because our society at large politically and so forth is just so divided now that mm -hmm. we, it's really important for us as women not to go there, that we can be, there's a warrior spirit in us. You know, when, when um, Eve was given to Adam and Adam said at last to help me, 
you know, flash of my flesh, that word helpmate in the Hebrew actually means warrior. It means someone who stands by your side and fights. And so we women can have that warrior spirit to, to serve and to sacrifice and to do great things and to become holy, or that desire to fight can be per- perverted into unnecessary conflict, judgmental behavior. And mm-hmm. especially now, with all of the gender ideology and gender confusion and all of the pain that young people are suffering right now as a result, um, it's really important for Catholic women, for our children, for our nieces and nephews and grandchildren, all the young people in our lives, who out of a genuine desire to be compassionate and to respect the civil rights of other people, tend to normalize things that maybe ought not to be normalized. Um, we need to see that while it's sad that because things are being normalized that are really, you know, signs of dysfunction and pain, that may, the normalization of those things means that some people won't get the help they need and they deserve. Mm-hmm. But the positive side of our young people embracing all of that is that they are compassionate and non-judgmental. And so I really feel like it's a timely moment for us to say to each other as women, We need to close ranks around our young people. We need to embrace them and be extremely affectionate and appreciative of all the good that has come out of this in them, that openness to others, that kindness, that compassion. And that if we have people within our families that are experiencing things like, I know this seems like a bit hard left, but I think it's the, I think this is a moment for women to come together on this and support each other. That if they're experiencing same sex attraction or living in those lifestyles or or living with even uh, an opposite sex partner outside of marriage, that sort of thing, that we need to back off the judgment and never stop and understand that they're trying in their way to live authentically and that we should live authentically too and never stop speaking the truth, but never with an attitude of anger or judgment, but always, always with love and to remember Jesus, you know, breaking bread with prostitutes and tax collectors and people like that who no one else would touch or enter their homes because they weren't worthy somehow. He loved them. And I'm not trying to equate people with gender confusion or anything like that with tax collectors and prostitutes. I'm just saying that there's always, there can be a tendency in people of faith to be so protective of the the beautiful morality of the church that is such deep wisdom, such life-giving, liberating wisdom. We want to give that gift to others, but sometimes in our fear, in our insecurity, in our feeling of being embattled, even within the church, we can lash out in anger and judgment. And that's a distraction, too. That takes us away from that core of peace where we trust in God, where our littleness, where the living out of our vocations in love and that giving of our hearts to the people God presents to us on any given day, that that is where we are warriors. That is where we stand with him in his power because we trust like little children that if we love, he will do the rest. He'll water the seeds that we plant. We need not lose sleep. We need not worry. We need not be afraid. And I'm preaching this while struggling with it myself. Mm -hmm. So please understand I'm not saying that it's easy. We have to regroup and get to confession and keep trying again and again to grow in wisdom. This is probably one of the most pressing issues of our day. And women have the capacity, if they exercise the feminine genius, if we trust again, know that we are little, know that we can rest in his arms and rest in this suffering, that God is doing a work and he is faithful. He fights on our behalf. Read the Psalms. 
even when David and the other psalmists are crying out, we are embattled, we are encircled, they mock us, they beat us, they are, you know, we are slaughtered on all sides. When, Lord, when will you come? Every, practically every psalm ends with, and, and the Lord will come. And the Lord will triumph, and the Lord is faithful, and I trust in him. And so I think we need, as women, to have hearts full of those psalms, full of that aching, yearning, and yes, weeping and suffering, and that ultimately that joy, that sense of, okay, we are in a battle, but that doesn't mean that we're going to panic. And I'm just going to close with one thought, and that is that I love Gideon, because he was kind of a low-status guy in a low-status tribe, and God not only told him to lead the army against an overwhelming enemy, but he said, and get rid of that 10,000 bunch of men. We, they're not going to be in your army. And and then of the remnant that were left, only certain ones could go into battle with him. And then he equipped him, and he made him, and he made him triumphant. And so I love Gideon. I sometimes say, Holy Gideon, pray for me. Give me, give me the faith that you had to have to step in and say yes to God. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing your heart, for living authentically. Yeah, just sharing in such a vulnerable way. Thank you for living out the feminine genius and for all the encouragement that you provide for other women to do the same thing. Oh, thank you. What a joy to be with you, Chloe. And congratulations on your the book that you're writing and all the beautiful work that you're doing with the podcast. And thank you for the wonderful addition that you made to our program on, on Shalom World, on women. We really appreciated your gifts and, and just so excited for all that you're doing and the way you're touching so many lives. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the episode. I want to give a quick shout out to Julie Store. She's a listener who won the first year anniversary giveaway that was sponsored by so many of the women who appeared on Letters to Women throughout the first year of the show. The entry into the giveaway that was the winner was Julie's suggestion for an episode on aging as a Catholic woman. So thank you so much for that idea, Julie, and just for all of your support. Head over to oldfashionedgirlblog.com for the show notes for this week's episode. If you have a spare minute, please give Letters to Women a review and rating on iTunes. That's all I have for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, be not afraid. <laughs>